The reading today is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 9 to 24, on page 1168 of the Church Bibles. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the Church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is God's word. Many thank you. Let me uh, add my welcome. Uh, my name's uh, Matt Fuller, minister here. I have said uh, a hello to you. Uh, great to see you. Um, Simon Hallett again was prayed for. Did you, I don't know if you caught that in the prayers. If you hadn't worked out, he was hit in a hit and run accident. Uh, he was on his push bike, um, uh, broke his arm and his leg. Uh, and as a professional musician, that's pretty bad news. Um, optimistic that he'll make a full recovery. It would certainly be a couple of months before that. And at the moment, he's on a sort of diet of about 12 pills every four hours, so he's in pretty good spirits. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think he'll have to be weaned off them eventually, and the pain uh, may come. Uh, But do pray for them. I mean, for him to make a good recovery with his arm in particular, very important. Uh, We're in the book of Galatians. Uh, We started that last week. Let me me lead us in prayer as we uh, turn there again. Our Father, we have sung uh, a wonderful words already this morning. We praise you that Jesus has uh, paid all the debt that we owe and ask that we grow in confidence in that again this morning, confidence to stand upon him alone, to build our lives upon him, we pray. Amen. Now then, if you were here last week, you know that the book of Galatians uh, really is Paul's plea never to move on from the gospel. You never move on. You never grow out of the gospel. You can learn it more deeply. You can apply the gospel more thoroughly to different areas of your life. But you never move on. It's not an ABC of the Christian life and then you get on to maturity. It's the A to Z. It covers everything. 
once it's applied to all your life. It's the, essentially the account of Jesus' rescue in the past. It's a message of a rescue that has taken place, and we put our faith in that. It's not to do with what we perform in the present. We trust upon the past. And uh, Paul will uh, repeatedly say, look, if you add anything, add anything at all to that rescue in the past, if you think your performance now contributes to your salvation, to your relationship, then, then you've lost it. As soon as you add anything to the gospel, it goes because you're trusting in yourself and not in Christ alone. I had a sort of visual demonstration of this in front of me uh, this week. Uh, we, uh, our summer holiday, we went to France for a couple of weeks and are delighted in their vanilla-based pudding obsession. Whenever you go to their supermarkets, most of the puddings are sort of vanilla-based in some way or other, and so now our family is uh, very much into them. And uh, so we had some creme caramels. Where, where is this going? You are wondering, aren't you? Anyway, but um, we had a load of creme caramels, and you know how they work. You rip them off and you turn them upside down, and nothing happens because... It's just, there's a vacuum, there's no air pressure pushing down on it. So the thing will just stay in its tub happily, it just sits there. But as soon as you get a little knife and tap, the smallest hole, the smallest bit of air, and uh, out it plops onto your plate. As soon as you add anything, uh, it comes out, it's gone from its box or pot. Now that may not have had the same theological resonance with you as... Uh, it did with me, but given that I'm thinking very much uh, about the gospel and uh, we mustn't add anything to it. Yeah, as soon as you add anything to the gospel, as soon as you think anything I do now adds the smallest of 1% to my salvation, to my status before God, biblically speaking, to my righteousness before the Lord, then you're relying on yourself, not upon him, and the gospel's gone. It does you no good. So never move on, is Paul's message here. Never, never move on. Uh, He's writing to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, the south there. And the occasion for his letter is there's uh, some false teachers have come in, and uh, their message is, ah, very good, very good. So you've begun with Jesus, good. Uh, Now move on. Now you need to uh, mature as Christians and complete your faith. So you just need to add one or two things. So you need to keep some Jewish rules in particular. So it emerges in the letter, chapter 4, verse 10. You have to keep various Jewish festivals. Chapter 5, verse 6, oh, you'll need to be circumcised if you want to grow and mature as Christians. And Paul says, no, never move on. Never add anything. You don't, your performance in the present does not add to the work of Jesus Christ in the past. Don't add anything. Don't move on. Fight for the gospel. For those who are Christians, fight in your own heart. (laughs) Because our natural tendency is like the the classic wonky shopping trolley, just to veer away slightly. Just to think, oh, well, um, surely, surely today I've been a very good Christian, a very good person. And therefore today I can be more confident that God delights in me. Don't don't veer. Fight in your own heart to rest upon the work of Jesus Christ alone. And, sadly, fight publicly. And we uh, merely read back from uh, verses 8 and 9, which we looked at last week. This matters. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. 
it matters that you trust in the gospel alone. Because if you lose it, you lose eternity and life with the the living God. So that's what's going on in Galatians. And uh, for the next, uh, this week and a certain certain extent, the next couple of weeks, Paul is defending his own position in this. He's saying, you can trust my gospel. I've told you, and I'll come back to this for most of the letter, why it's so important, what it'll do. Now, you need to know you can trust me and the gospel message I've proclaimed to you. And that's really his, uh, his point here today. You can build your life upon this gospel, he says. You can have absolute confidence in it. Now, some of you may not well be persuaded of that yet. Thinking, well, I don't know. I, I'm starting to see how it fits together, the Christian faith. And, but can I really trust this, this message, 2,000 years old, really? And, of course, for, for many of us, that'll be an accusation that uh, we feel is thrown at us a lot, uh, either publicly or in the media or uh, by those we work with or family members. Oh, come on, you know, you are quite bright. Why do you still believe this? And Paul says, no, you can build your life upon this gospel. And today he'll give a a little bit of evidence why. But before we uh, jump into the text, let let me just back up a little bit and um, make the obvious point, which I'm sure you make to other people. You have to build your life upon something. So all of us have a primary source of authority, a primary source that drives us. And it could be a number of things. Some of you would have uh, seen this very simple little uh, picture before. I think uh, Australian preacher Philip Jensen uh, was the first man I saw draw this. It's, you know, let's caricature a little bit, but broad brush, everyone rests upon or builds their life essentially on, on one of these four. It could be the Bible, uh, which uh, many Christians, evangelical Christians, would say, yes, God has revealed his truth into our world. And he's the creator. We can build our lives upon him. Great. Others would say, um, actually, it's reason. Reason you need to build your life upon. Because let's be honest, um, Paul was a great intellectual. I can respect his mind, but he was a product of his time. And nowadays, it's just not reasonable to believe what he says on sexual ethics. We've We've just grown up. We've matured as humans since then. So you you can listen to some of this, but ultimately reason has to drive and decide what you think. And some of us may think that to a certain extent. Look, yes, I can run with the New Testament a lot, but on this issue, I don't know, I don't know. You know, it's just so out of step with culture, I don't know. And we may feel that tension a little bit. Uh, Institution, maybe you build your life on institution. Now, in a religious setting, that sometimes takes place. If you were in the Mormon church, it is the Mormons who determine what is true. And you interpret the whole world through the Book of Mormon. That would be one way. Or perhaps a more common way would just be, well, I heard it on the news. (laughs) The BBC says, therefore, it's true. And you might just set them up or um, your your favorite newspaper that you take every day. That is your authority. And if you read it there, well, that's what you run with. Could, Could be that sort of thing. Well, then finally, experience. The sort of a sentiment of, well, I, I just feel this way. You can't deny my feelings. Uh, I, I, I had an experience of God. It went a bit like this. You, you can't deny that. 
many of us, most of us, all of us, would have at some point had the experience of saying, um, well, this is what I should do, but this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do this. And uh, it's our sort of feelings or our experience that drives it this way. Now, they're different. This is not radical. This is fairly obvious. Uh, people have been talking about this sort of uh, sentiment for ages. All of us have a primary place that we move out from, that we build our lives upon. Classic example. So Jane Austen, uh, Sense and Sensibility. Um, remember, Sense is Eleanor, the two sisters, Eleanor and Marianne. Eleanor is Sense. She is older, sensible, um, rational, um, does the proper thing, the appropriate thing for her family. Uh, Marianne is sensibility. She's just driven by her emotions. Whatever she feels like doing, she has to do that. Classic novel of, of uh, looking at those two areas, two of those areas. One, no, we must be reasonable. The other, oh, but I must, I want to do this. So, of course, in the, in the, in the book, Marianne meets Willoughby, the cad. And um, she meets uh, uh, Willoughby, and her behavior is, I mean, it's fairly moderate, but by the time, scandalous. She dances with him in a, oh, a provocative way. They are seen kissing publicly. I mean, this is scandalous behavior by Marianne. And so Eleanor has to sit her down and says, my dear, because they all speak like that, my dear, um, surely can you not see it is, it is un you are unable to live this way. Look what it is doing to our family, the scandal it is causing. Marianne, my dear, you must stop. But her response is, of course, I cannot. I cannot deny my feelings. I, I cannot care about propriety and what is right and what is wrong. I cannot deny my heart. And so off she goes and, and has a little fling with Willoughby. Two, which, now, what do you do at that point? Who's right? Which is the better source of authority? Well, it's a, it's a nonsense question. One, they just think differently. So all of us build our lives in some sense upon one of these. Now, the Christian, uh, the Christian builds their life upon the Bible. It says, okay, God has, the creator God outside our world has spoken truth into this world, and so we can have confidence in that. Now, no one is in a corner as such. We're all a little bit of a mixture. So as a Christian, of course, you know, I come, the scriptures are my authority, but I use my reason when I put them together. Of course, I have my experiences, which affect how I, how I, how I read these things to a certain extent, and uh, I'm aware of church history, the institution of the past, but fundamentally, it's the Bible. Paul today is saying, trust this, trust my gospel message. It was revealed to me by God himself, the creator spoke into this world, you can be absolutely certain of this. And let me give you some evidence for it. So in one sense, the passage is very simple. Verses 11 and 12, that's the point. Uh, verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, the gospel I preach to you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This message salvation on the basis of the rescue of Jesus Christ in the past, not what you're doing in the present. God gave it. It's God's message. Build your life upon it. And uh, he gives uh, some evidence to back that up. Three little things. We'll work through the text actually very quickly indeed. So uh, it's his little life history in one sense. as a sort of past, uh, and um, on he goes. 
So three little things. First then, Paul, Paul was a persecutor of the gospel. Verses 13 and 14. Do you remember all of this? Do you remember my history, he says? Verse 13. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. You can read of that in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Acts chapter 8, there, there is Paul. He hates the church. And so we're told he goes from house to house in Jerusalem, dragging out men and women and uh, throwing them into prison. He wants to destroy the church. You think, okay, that's a, that's a fairly strong reaction. What's driven that? Well, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond, beyond uh, many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Well, why was he so anti the Christian church? Pride. Back then, I was a brilliant Jew. I, 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 knew my, I knew my Bible, my Old Testament, the traditions of my father with much greater depth than any of my peers. I was on a fast track to... So I was going to be you know, chief Pharisee in, um, uh, uh, in Jerusalem. I was on my way to being high priest. I was very impressive as a Jew. And then I heard this message these Christians were saying, which was, that was a complete waste of time, and I needed to put my faith in a man who was cursed on a cross. I hated that. I had worked really hard, and I hated that message. And so he really went for the church. He really went for it. So he says, do you remember what I was like before my conversion? It wasn't as if I had um, come along to an investigating Christianity course with an open mind. I wasn't on a sort of trajectory. Um, I'm not a sort of wishy-washy sort of character. I hated the church, and I was dead against it. But, uh, second little thing, verses 15 and 16... God revealed the gospel to him. And there's a complete uh, shift of subject here. So uh, verses 13 and 14, I, I, I. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous. Verse 15, but God. Verse 15, but when God, who set me apart from birth, called me, to be, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. But God... See, Paul's conversion experience, it was all God's work. This is very striking. God always planned to use Paul as apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 15, I was set apart from birth. God had given him a brilliant mind, allowed him to train thoroughly in the Old Testament, given him a sort of lawyer's clarity and logic and argumentation. God had prepared him for all those things. God called him by his grace, his unmerited generosity, God called him, and God revealed Jesus Christ to him. Now, again, you can read about this in the book of Acts, his conversion. It wasn't just something happened in his heart, because everyone else on the road with him says, well, what's that? What's that noise? There's something dramatic going on here. So everyone knew that something dramatic was happening. Only Paul saw Jesus Christ. But this is God's work. The emphasis here, it wasn't just that he, met a, he, he received a message. He met Jesus Christ. God revealed his son. God's work. I hated 
Christian things. God, open my eyes. God, call me. And then a third little thing. I didn't rely on any others, he says, verses 16 to 24. I didn't rely on any others for this gospel. So he's emphasizing here his independence. So um, uh, end of verse 16. I didn't consult any other man. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who are apostles, but I went off to Arabia. It wasn't that. I mean, the accusation seems to be, oh, poor, poor Paul. <laughs> nice bloke, bit dense. Um, got converted, went to, went to Jerusalem to see the other apostles. They explained the Christian message, and he went off. He didn't really get it, you see. And then he went off and bogged it and, and got it wrong and told everyone how poor, you know, nice guy, well-intentioned, just not very bright. Seems to be the sort of argument here. And he's saying, no, no, Jesus met me, spoke to me, and then I went off. I wasn't talking to anyone else at that stage. I went to Arabia for three years don't know all the details. Why is that? Is that because Jesus trained his other disciples for three years and he needed three years with Paul? It would be a sensible thing. We're not told precisely what he did. Was he just reflecting upon everything that Jesus had taught him, was telling him? We don't know. But he went off for three years. Only at the end of that, verse 18, did he meet any other apostles. After three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. Stayed with him for uh, uh, 15 days. And I saw none of the others, only James. Now look, yes, I did go and meet with Peter, and that was an important meeting, stayed with him for a fortnight. But it wasn't that all the other apostles came in and harangued me, look thicky, let me re-explain it to you, you've got it wrong. I had dinner with James one night, he's a nice guy, but uh, essentially I, I, I wasn't with them. I just met with Peter, and that's it. And, and do you know what happened when I went there? Well, verses 22, 23... I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. No one knew my face. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. There are a lot of people I didn't meet. But all over the area, all over Judea, people were saying, praise God. Praise God for what he's teaching and preaching. Praise God for him. We don't know quite how it works. No one told him the gospel. He turned up one day and says, hey, I'm going to preach this. And we said, oh, snap, brilliant. You're teaching the same as us, even though you learned it independently from us. Go for it. And many people praising God because of him. See, Paul is saying, my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, I didn't discover it. I was going in completely the other direction. God himself came and really hit me hard on the Damascus Road and then took me off, independently taught me. And I am teaching the same as everyone else. I, this gospel has not been corrupted anyway. You can trust it. You can trust what I'm saying. Three implications of that then. The first is, and this is the main one, this is Paul's point really in this passage, the gospel can be trusted. This is a truth you can build your life upon. He's saying, God himself, Jesus Christ, gave me this message. You can build your life upon this. You really can. Trust this. Now, of course, I'm not naive. Some will just mock at this point. Some will mock and say, how do you, how do you build your life upon that? <laughs> so a bloke says, God revealed himself to him. 
How do you, 2,000 years ago, how do you build your life upon that? Well, just let me turn that around a bit and say, what do you build your life upon then? Do you think any of the other bases are, are any more secure? Of course, lots of people today would say, oh, well, you just, you just got to reason it out. Science has made such extraordinary developments. If you use your mind, your reason, you'll work it out. You'll get there. But can you be sure? It's a, very, it's a fairly famous little letter that uh, Charles Darwin wrote to uh, one of his good friends, uh, William Graham, in 1881. And it's quite a revealing, uh, honest moment from Darwin. Let me just read you a little extract. Uh, he wrote this, With me the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Or more simply, would you trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? See, every so often I think, if I'm right, we've just come from monkeys, I wouldn't trust a monkey, why do I trust me? It's quite a good point. A monkey, strictly rational, always reasonable creatures, or they're driven by a whole number of desires. You go to the zoo, and uh, uh, um, you go to the zoo and see the trainers trying to do something with monkeys, and the monkeys they're, they're performing and they're doing very well, and, and off they get. And then all of a sudden they just smell food, and, and they're off, or they smell their mates. Um, smell bottom often, isn't it? They just go and um, they just, and that's it. The, the task is driven. They're not rational. They're not reasonable. They're just, oh, off they go, and uh, they're just driven by their desires. And Darwin says, you know what? I wonder if I'm a bit like that sometimes. I think rationally in some ways, but how much of my thinking is driven actually by my desires and what I want to be true? And oh, that's just quite unsettling, isn't it? It's just well worth asking that sort of question. So the, um, uh, the, the, the recent fuss made uh, by Stephen Hawking, you know, this, his uh, recent book, saying, look, you don't need God. You don't need a, a creator to create world, this world. Look, I, I've done lots of thinking about um, string theory and M theory, um, and uh, it seems to me that you don't need anyone to light the blue touch paper. But then, of course, all the other physicists or lots of others pile in and say, you can't prove that. That is just... It's a theory that can never empirically be assessed. So you can believe that if you want, but you have to take it on faith. So, really? So is it really reason, strictly speaking? It's not, it's not quite that. You can't build your life with absolute certainty on that. The only way you can be certain about, certainly, the existence of God is if he comes into this world and reveals himself. It's the way to be certain. Well, let me ask another quick question. Do you think murder is wrong? Most people do. But on what basis would you assert that? I just feel it's wrong. It just seems wrong to me. Well, hold on. That's, is that good enough? That's the sort of Jimmy Cricket uh, school of, uh, of uh, making up your morals. You know, the, in Pinocchio, you know, give a little whistle... Always let your conscience be your guide. And it just, whatever it feels right to you, just let... Well, the problem with that is, you know, mass murderers sometimes say, well, you know, just felt like the right thing to do. Um, how do you build a criminal system on that? There you are in the dock. Mr. Pedley, why did you steal all those cars? Well, it just felt like the right thing to do. I gave a little whistle and I just decided that was the right way to live. Well, you know, why did you murder that man? Well, I, 
I just decided, I just let my conscience be my God. You can't live that way. You can't live that way. Why is it wrong to murder someone? It just feels, it just is. Come on, it's not good enough. What will you build your life upon? God comes into this world and says, here's the truth, and you can know it, because I've revealed it to you. The gospel, it can be trusted. You can build your life upon that. Second of them, the gospel is divisive. And again, you see that here. The gospel, it's a threatening message to religious people. Paul, very religious, very impressive in his religion and uh, his passion for the traditions of his fathers. He hated it, hated it, hated the gospel because it said to him, well, that's worthless. You just need to trust in someone else, in God. So he was, uh, at the beginning of this uh, little account, uh, in uh, verse 13, he was a persecutor. But they're thrilled at the end, verse 23, because he stopped persecuting them. And actually, it's quite a strong theme in the letter. We'll we'll see it as it emerges. So you'll see it in, in chapter 4, verse 29. Religious people persecute those who trust the gospel. You see it at the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 11, 6, 17. Paul is persecuted by those who love religious works. It's quite a divisive message. Uh, Some will know uh, a minister called Pete Woodcock. He uh, runs a church uh, down in Kingston. And uh, I was talking to him the other day. He said he'd been down to uh, Devon to preach at a church in Devon. He wasn't entirely sure how he'd got there. Um, um, He just had an invite to this church. And he walked in and and met the minister and thought, oh, my goodness, they are not going to like what I've got to say. Um, But it was fairly full church. He said the average age was, was about 60, uh, and you know, he's a bit younger than that. He just thought, they're not going to like me, they're not going to like what I've got to say, this is going to go very badly indeed. Anyway, so he started, uh, started preaching and, and teaching, and essentially just this message, um, no one is good enough for God. You need someone, you need Jesus Christ to die for you. He said he got about two-thirds of the way through, when eventually a woman who's in the choir, robed in the choir, just shouted out, How dare you? How dare you say I'm not good enough for God? She was slightly taken aback. Uh, And then the minister stood up and said, yes, I agree. I have been minister here for 20 years, and I've never heard anyone, no one's ever told me I'm a sinner that needs someone to die for me. Uh, Okay, and there was a slightly uh, tense atmosphere, as you can imagine, uh, in the room, and it caused a bit of a kerfuffle. He said uh, everyone was a bit embarrassed and nervous. Uh, At the end of the meeting, uh, four uh, four people came up to him and said, um, I've never heard that before. Can you tell me how I become a Christian, please? It's quite a divisive message. If you really love what you've achieved, the gospel is, is humbling, too humbling. For some people. And last comment, this gospel, the gospel, it'll transform you. It'll transform you. Um, forgive me, this is not an academic exercise, wondering what you build your life upon. It is your life. <laughs> As Paul has expressed uh, at, at the beginning there, chapter 1, 8 and 9, that this is a matter of eternal life and death. And if you, if you understand this gospel, it will transform you. Now, Paul's experience is clearly unique, but in a sense, the idea of walking one way and God coming and acting, that 
that will happen. That is the gospel at work in your life. Last Sunday night, I, uh, at the evening service here, I, I sat next to a, a young lad. I'd never met him before. Uh, um, and uh, he, uh, I said, oh, I've never met you before. How, how long have you been coming here to church? Slightly embarrassed. And uh, he said, oh, no, just a few weeks, about, about six weeks or so. Oh, okay. Uh, who brought you? I, I knew uh, so-and-so. Okay, great, great. And how have you found it? It's changed my life. Oh. <laughs> I was making small talk. Go on. Um, so what, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, I've come from Croatia. I, I've uh, been brought up in the Orthodox Church. And I've come here for the last nearly two months. And every week I, I've heard mercy. I've never heard that before. I, I thought... I had to live a certain way to be a Christian. And you and others tell me that being a Christian is what Jesus Christ has done for me. Um, and, and then living gratefully. I don't, I've never understood anything like, I've never heard anything like that before. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know, great. And so you think you've become a Christian? I, I don't know. I, I, I think I would have called myself a Christian all my life. All I know is, I am a very different person now already in what I think and how I want to live. Can you read the Bible with me, please? Yeah, sure. When are you free? Every day. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me find you. Let me introduce you to... Uh... <laughs> Phenomenal. See, the gospel will change you. It will inform your reasoning. It will affect your emotions. It will change you. This is not an academic exercise. This is not just the fact it's true, although it is. It will change you. Paul says, never move on from the gospel. Never move on from my gospel. It will transform your life. Trust it. Oh, you can trust it. Listen, let me just remind you how I got it. You can trust that this is a revelation from God. You can't build your life on anything else with the same certainty. Trust it. Oh, and it'll change you. Now, that may sound very threatening. That might sound very wonderful. But it's true. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you haven't left us scrambling around trying to work out for ourselves what is true and what is not. That you entered our world as Jesus Christ and gave us the truth. Thank you then that, uh, Lord Jesus, you came and met with the Apostle Paul and gave him the truth, explained to him the gospel. So that we have uh, his accounts and records, we can understand the gospel so very clearly uh, from his writings as well as your teachings. We thank you that it's something we can build our lives upon and pray that we would do so with confidence, with transforming power. Amen.